everybody. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratter, writer for Football Outsiders. We're deep into the playoffs here, the divisional round, maybe the best week of the year for all the football watchers out there. Uh, but we've got plenty of fantasy stuff to discuss. So I've got Howard Bender from Fantasy Alarm from Sirius XM Radio, a Hall of Fame guest on this show. Some of the more, uh, you know, I would say devoted of our fans may remember that Howard was the guest on the Lost show from earlier this year when we were, you know, talking about how Tom Brady, like maybe he didn't live up to his DFS expectations. And then, bam, suddenly we can't record <laughs> anymore. Everything's gone. Someone's pulling plugs. I don't want to like, you know, throw any blame necessarily, Howard, but I'm glad that we got you back this year. How's it going? It's going really, really well. Yeah, that was uh, that was funny. I again, I telling you, man, Tom Brady was just sitting there with a plug somewhere. It's like he's got those connections, man. He just doesn't. None of that stuff needs to be out out in the world for people to hear. Not not for the goat. Howard also incredible pregame story that I'm lamenting that we have to discuss fantasy when there's so many other comedic things we could be discussing on this show. But there's DFS. There's stuff to do for the playoffs. So I think we're just going to have to get down to it. Um, before we get started, let me mention that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer, so check that out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the show. And, you know, if this is the first you're hearing about our Lost episode, you need to be listening to us, you know, every day a week except Tuesday at this point. Football Outsiders are bringing you some great live content at 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and uh and somewhere else, YouTube. Yeah, so you can catch us at your preferred uh, video streaming destination. Howard, we got the four games to discuss. Let's just go in order, starting with the Bengals at Titans. That's Saturday at 4.30 in Tennessee, 37 degrees and clear. By and large, weather not as big a factor this week, but we're going to talk a little bit about that for the next game. But for this game, I think there are two major fantasy storylines to discuss. The first, maybe the biggest of all the games this week from a fantasy perspective, is that Derrick Henry looks like he's going to return. He hasn't played since week eight when he suffered a Jones fracture. And are you back to the point where you're going to trust him in your fantasy lineups? I mean, people were building lineups around him in DFS for the last three years. And that seems like an obvious play here too, but I don't know with the, the big injury absence, what do you think? You know, I kind of feel like you, you have to play Derrick mm. Henry, like fading him is going to be really, really tough. I mean, that's, that's, the Titans bread and butter. And yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's going to get 15 touches. I don't know if he's going to get 20 touches. We're going to wait until see what happens with the Friday practice reports and Mike Vrabel gets into the, uh, the, the press conference, but you know, listen, this is, you know, the Jones fracture. I, I've had a Jones fracture. Now really? I'm not Derek Henry and I'm not some, <laughs> but Debo Samuel like, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm barely, <laughs> I'm like like one of Debo Samuel's like toes. That's okay. that's where I'm at. Gotcha. But, you know, I mean, it's really you know because it's it's about the cutting and running on it. And if he's healthy enough to go right now, then he's going to be completely fine. I mean, it's it's definitely it's 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 not a an injury that once it's healed, it's not really going to nag you all that mm. much. And he's had ample time off, so. I mean, I could legit see him getting 20 carries here. And the, with the struggles of the defensive line for Cincinnati and some of the injuries that they've been entailed right now, I think this could be a big one for him. Everybody loves Cincinnati. Everybody wants Cincinnati mm -hmm. to win. And that's going to turn the public over there. And, you know, I mean, talk about fading the public when you're talking about betting on football. I think, you know, you have to kind of lean towards Derrick Henry and the Titans. You know, you said 20 carries. Henry averaged 27.5 carries the first eight weeks of this season. I mean, I think we all kind of remember, but it's been a little bit. So as a reminder, this guy got way more work than everybody else. 
the first eight weeks of the year, no one else was even above 20 carries per game. So like it was a different type of thing. The Jones fracture, it's weird for me. Like it's cool that you've had it before. I mean, it's not cool for you that you've had it before, but cool, cool for the insight because like it's that's not an injury that you see a lot of players have. I feel like Kevin Durant, honestly, is the most famous athlete that suffered it in recent times. But Debo was really the only other player I remember having it. And he he injured himself in summer last year. And so, like, he didn't miss as much of the season, but it was like maybe four total months of out. Like, I don't know. It seems like something where there's different degrees of the severity. Henry's been out for, I think, about two and a half months since he actually had his surgery. So, I mean, I, I'm just going to kind of trust you, trust the the fact that he's back practicing, that they think he's ready to go. And he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't need 27 and a half carries to make this work, assuming that they're going to have success running the ball against the Bengals, which I think they will, even if it's more of like a three to one type of split with Dante Foreman, I think that could probably work for you from a fantasy perspective. Like, oh no, it's only 22 carries this week. That's that's fine. That's plenty of opportunities for him to run and score. Yeah. And you know what? And the thing is, is that he's not really, he's, he's a power runner, right? So he's mm. not really, I mean, he'll, he'll make a cut here and there. He'll do a jump cut, but I mean, is it, you know, is he, is he cutting back and forth enough through the line, uh, you know, that it's going to be a problem. I mean, for those who don't know a Jones fracture, it's a, uh, it's a fracture under the fifth metatarsal mm. of your, t- of your foot. So it's like, you know, it's a pinky toe. It's like right there. It's like where the ball of your foot meets the, um, you know, meets the, uh, the, the toe. Yeah. Um, and that's the area where, it, where it is. So, you know, you know, when you're like pivoting or whatever, you're using the ball of your foot and that's where the pain really develops. So, you know, if you have surgery and I didn't have surgery when it, when it happened to me, so it took me a while, but I was in a walking yeah. boot for like, you know, a, a month and a half dealing with that for him to have it surgically repaired, um, is also going to help expedite the healing process. So, yeah, and listen, like you just said, 15 to 20 carries of Derrick Henry, I'll take that over any other running back getting 20 carries. So maybe I'm bullish, but I ended up projecting Henry for 24.8 carries and Foreman for 4.5. So like, I'm, I guess I'm not totally confident that I have that split right, but I, I'm pretty confident that they're going to have plenty of carries. It's interesting with the Bengals matchup because the Bengals were better against the run than against the pass this season, 13th in DVOA against the run, 24th against the pass, but... Um, they were a big increaser of rushing touchdown rate. Top five is a 27% increaser. So like, even if you don't get all of that, even if Foreman is a little bit more involved than you might expect based on their previous usages, you feel like Henry has the upside of one or two rushing touchdowns this week and could be a huge difference maker as a DFS option. I actually like him a lot. He's one of my DFS plays from this week that I'd recommend, particularly in DraftKings. He's 7,500 there and 9,000 in FanDuel. So I think DraftKings has the, the little bit more pessimistic price is the one that I would rather take advantage of. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and what a great dagger through the heart of anybody who fades Derrick Henry when he like <laughs> bulldozes his way to like a 42-yard touchdown on his third carry of the game, right? I mean, that would be a classic thing I would do. I feel like, you know, every fantasy player is like, Derrick Henry, yeah, he's good. Let's put him in the DFS lineup. And I'm like, oh, you know, trying to like do the crazy board, the Charlie Day, like all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm an idiot. Just play Derrick Henry, right? Well, uh, I mean, you know, usually it's it's the pricing that really kind of it, it jams you up a lot. And mm-hmm. like you said, on DraftKings, for him to be 7,500, I, I absolutely love that. I really I mean, do. Yeah, he was pushing, you know, 10,000 for, for before the injuries. So if, he, yeah. if he's anything close to that, he's going to be a great option for you in fantasy this week. Let's move on to some other topics. Again, sticking with this game, we're going to do two storylines per game. 
Let's look at the other side of the ball. How do you think the Titans defense compares as a matchup for Joe Burrow compared to the Raiders last season, uh, last week? Because like he didn't really have any problems with the Raiders, even though they like more famously have the good pass rush. Um, Max Crosby, I think, was leading the league in defensive pressures this season. The Titans don't really have that, but I, I have a suspicion they may be a tougher foe for the Bengals. What do you think? I think they are going to be a tougher foe for the Bengals. And a lot of this is going to be dictated by game flow. If the Titans are mm. successful running the ball against Cincinnati, then then yeah, you're going to end up uh, watching Joe Mixon cast to the side and it's going to be the Joe Burrow show yeah. all over again. Now, the Titans, you know, we, we cracked on the Titans all throughout the early part of the season where, you know, their pass defense was terrible and their secondary was hurting. Um, by the end of the season, though, they finished 11th in DVOA against the yeah, pass. Yeah. However, they also, over their last three games, gave up somewhere in the neighborhood of like almost 260 yards through the air. So, you know, you kind of have to – you look at that. You look at what Cincinnati does with their passing game with Burrow and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Um, he's going to have to be, uh, you know, especially if, if they're successful, if Tennessee is successful running the ball – you're going to have Joe Burrow slinging that rock and, you know, bringing that relationship that he and, um, you know, he and Jamar Chase have yeah, uh, yeah. have blossomed with. Uh, and it's going to be tough. I mean, like it's, it could end up being like, I don't think it's going to end up being like a track meet at the end. I think this could very well be, you know, a heavy lean towards Burrow and the passing game for Cincinnati as they try to catch up a little bit more um, and, and jump out to a lead in the second half. Yeah. So for me, when, when I'm talking about the Bengals, I'm, if I'm worried, it's always about sacks. So Joe Burrow led the NFL with 51 sacks this season. But there's like a really interesting split here with the Raiders and Titans comparison where the Raiders were much better in terms of pass rush win rate. They were eighth versus 21st for the Titans. But the Titans were a lot better from an adjusted sack rate perspective, 10th versus 24th. And you're like, you know, from our perspective, usually you say the pressure rate is probably more predictive. You get a lot more opportunities to pressure the quarterback. And so there can be some kind of fluky inconsistencies there. But this is a situation where I'm not sure that's actually true. And I'm going to steal some stuff from Robert Mays from the Athletic Football Show talking here about how the Raiders are just so vanilla with their cover three defense. They don't really ever change it. You know where the pressure's coming from. It's coming from Max Crosby. And so Joe Burrow last week, he was able to get the ball out in like under 2.4 seconds on basically every throw. It's because he could easily diagnose what's happening on the defensive side of things. Against the Titans, not only do you have pressure coming from different places because like they have a lot of different good pass rushers from Danico Altry to Harry Landry and all that stuff, but also the defense is, is like, you know, running cover three, shifting to different formations and stuff. And it just it makes it a lot harder to process what you're seeing on the field. And so I'm wondering if maybe the Titans can force Burrow to hold onto the ball a little bit more, and that creates more opportunities for sacks. I don't know if that's necessarily going to sabotage him from a fantasy perspective, but you could definitely see the game script in my mind where he gets sacked four or five times, maybe turns the ball over. And that's where things could get really dicey if the Titans build a lead and then can just you know lean heavily on Derrick Henry in the running game and just play keep away, right? That, I think that would be the, the way the Titans would prefer to play this game and keep it out of Burrow's hands. That's definitely how they would prefer to do it. No, let me ask you here on Cincinnati's uh, passing front, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if Joe Burrow, you know, I mean, he seems to be locking on to one receiver more than the others in each game. And, you know, we've yeah. seen a lot of Jamar Chase. We saw a lot of T. Higgins down the stretch. Um, if you're looking at those DVOA numbers, uh, those coverage numbers against the different wide receivers in the tight end, um, you know, it almost looks like you have to, you know, obviously Jamar Chase is going to be in there, 
but it almost looks like Tyler Boyd might be uh, an intriguing option across the middle. You know, the, the Titans do a great job against the tight end. So I'm not worried so much about CJ Uzama, but I'm wondering if you think Tyler Boyd might be a little bit of a sneaky DFS play this week. I think Boyd is, and I also think T. Higgins is. And it's a situation, like you said, if you look over the broader period, Higgins and Chase are much closer together from a target share perspective. I think Chase is at 24.5% this year, including last week. Higgins is at 22.9%. But there's definitely like weird ebbs and flows from a game perspective. And if you just watched last week and saw that Chase had 12 targets and Higgins had four, you're like, it seems like Chase is clearly the huge number one guy. I don't think that's the case. And I think with this matchup specifically, it's interesting because the Titans, their strength in the secondary is probably their two outside corners, Christian Fulton and Janoris Jenkins. But Jenkins is kind of hurt right now. He's been missing practice. He has an ankle injury. He's probably going to play. But you wonder if maybe Fulton, being the only healthy guy, maybe he'll have a little bit more success in stopping the, the, the number one guy by perception, Jamar Chase, and open some opportunities for Higgins, open some opportunities for Tyler Boyd in the slot. It's, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting too. I think Fulton and Jenkins are really more side defender types. So like Jenkins is always going to be on the left side of, of the defensive perspective there. So it, it may be good news for everybody if he if he's injured, but I would really prefer to zag away from Chase, given that Chase had his huge week last week. And to me, this is kind of a, who knows who's getting what each week, all of them could have success. Now, you know, the Chase question is definitely a good one because Christian Fulton, didn't they go to LSU together? They did. And so and if, and I don't if know if that means serves, he's going to know the, the secrets or, or I not, do believe, but. didn't they go to high school together too? Did they? I didn't know that. That's sick. I think they might have gone to high school together as well because I know that they were together at LSU. So I guess the question is, is does Fulton know more of Chase? Does Chase know more of Fulton? And how is that going to end up balancing out? Give me Tyler Boyd. <laughs> I like, I like it too. I think more than maybe more than any other quarterback, I think you can trust Joe Burrow to read the defense and take the best option. Like he's yeah. as good as Chase is, and he's really, really good. I don't think Burrow is going to go to him blindly just because he's the guy. I think Burrow is going to make the right reads, and I think that may benefit Boyd and Higgins this week. So some good DFS options that are maybe a little, little less selected this week for you to roll with. All right, let's move on to the night game. This is the 49ers at Packers Saturday night in Green Bay. I mentioned weather being a concern here more than anywhere else. It's going to be single digits, and it's going to get colder as the game goes on. To me, that's the first storyline to start with because one, like, I guess I needed to ask you like, what your general thoughts are on cold temperatures, especially coming out of the Bills game last week where cold temperatures, let's say they didn't slow down Josh Allen very much. He threw seven touchdowns. Or, or led the team to seven touchdowns on all seven of their drives. So wasn't a problem there. Or is it going to be a problem for either of these teams? You know, as long as there's no wind that's like consistently mm. like over 20 miles an hour, if the gusts are like 30 miles an hour, then you might have to worry about the, the, the deep passing game a little bit. It doesn't sound like there's going to be a heavy wind problem in this, yeah. uh, in this game. So it is just the cold temperatures. So I don't really worry too much about the passing. I, I definitely don't. I don't worry about Aaron Rodgers passing in the cold. <laughs> I'm just, dude's going to make it rain out there. I mean, it's really, you know, him up, him up against the zone defense, right? Shanahan, you know, the, uh, whatchamacallit, they like to play a, a little bit. Was it Ryan's D'Amico Ryan's likes mm -hmm. to play like a cover three and a lot of cover one. Um, so, you know, I kind of think that that's going to favor Aaron Rodgers in this passing game. Now, Jimmy G, it's a different story because, you know, you also you're dealing not just with the cold, but you're dealing with that thumb. And, you know, and does, yeah. you know, does it does it tighten up on you a little bit? Does it hurt a little bit? But, you know, San Francisco, again, I think that they're a, they're a strong 
run 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 first offense anyway. I mean, last six games, Elijah Mitchell's had no fewer than 21 carries. Mm-hmm. And now you throw Debo Samuel into the mix where he's getting, you know, six to eight carries, you know, six to 10 carries a game uh, as well. So I don't think the weather's really going to be that much of an issue in this game at all. I'm with you. And I think the teams are, are a big part of that. More broadly from the weather perspective, cold weather, it just isn't as big of a factor as precipitation and high winds. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, cold weather cuts run plays by 2% per game. So it's more or less neutral. There are not that many to even really look at. But precipitation bumps run plays by 9%. Winds bump it by 3%. I think those are the situations where you actually struggle to move the ball through the air. And, and that's when you see the big the big strange games. Like I know that the Bills game earlier this year against the Patriots where the Patriots had success <laughs> running it was more of a cold thing. But Win was a factor there. There were a lot of elements that I think may be true of that game script. And to me, these teams, you mentioned it where if they had to rely more heavily on Jimmy G, so maybe if the 49ers fall behind, a real possibility. But even through the air, the 49ers are kind of a low depth of target team relying heavily on Yak. They're basically the best Yak team in football. The 49ers just seem very equipped to travel to somewhere that cold and play well. Aaron Rodgers obviously is amazing, but he's such an amazing fit for Green Bay since he's played there so long, you can actually run these splits, but he's averaged 270, 261, and 264 passing yards per game above 50 degrees from 30 to, th- to 49 and below 30 degrees mm. over the last like 12 years there. And he's averaged the exact same 2.2 touchdowns per game in all of those weather splits. I get that like 27 degrees isn't the same as seven degrees. And, you know, there's not that many games to look back on his or anyone's career to say, how does he do when it's this cold? But by evidence, Rodgers seems a little bit more immune to the cold weather than anywhere else. Maybe the Packers should think about keeping him around. I feel like he might be a good fit for that team. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine being that new quarterback who's like <laughs> used to playing, you know, in, in in warm weather? Like that's it's something that you always worry about when you know when when you're drafting somebody from from college, you know, and are they mm-hmm. used to, you know, what what kind of you know weather circumstances are they used to? Because yeah, to play in Green Bay, I mean, you really really need to and, and Rogers being a California guy uh, never really had mm. to deal with it. So, you know, I guess sitting on the bench for, you know, five years behind Brett Favre, <laughs> obviously, you know, you're shivering all the, all the time. You, you kind of get used to it. Cold and it's really, you know, he's like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. But yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it definitely, it favors a lot of, uh, a lot of Rogers. And then on the flip side there, um, if they do end up getting out to, to some sort of a lead, I mean, my, my Lord, AJ Dillon just pounding on oh, yeah. like a defensive lineman just pushing that would not through. be fun trying to oh. tackle that dude in the fourth quarter. And why don't these guys wear sleeves? What are you trying <laughs> to prove? Put a sleeve on for crying out loud. Like every time. I mean, you remember when it was like you were like with your buddies and it was like super cold in the winter time, and then all of a sudden somebody would walk up to you and like slap you, and you're like, ah, don't go. Like, I can't imagine being an offensive lineman having to like dig in like that in this kind of temperature. Yeah, there's no doubt that I'm too soft to play in a game like this. You know, ever since I lost my hair, I'm cold all the time. <laughs> that's an underrated part of, of going bald among the other major issues with it. But just keep that in mind for everybody for their futures. I need a hot chocolate IV to like just go into my <laughs> arm the entire time. I just, time. I wear what we call toboggans, what I think most of the world calls beanies, like 24-7 when it's below 50 degrees. <laughs> so, so but since we assume that the football players are a little bit tougher than me, then they can handle the weather Let's talk about some of the X's and O's here. And to me, the most interesting one is the fact that it sounds like Marquez Valdez-Scantling 
is going to miss this game with his back injury, which I think is surprisingly a big deal because the 49ers are the second worst team by deep pass DVOA. They have major issues in their second, even getting guys like Emmanuel Mosley back. They have major issues in their secondary. That's the real weakness of their defense because their, their front four is really strong. Their run defense is one of the best in football. So you would say the Packers would probably want to throw deep and get to some of those explosive plays, but can they do it without Valdez Scantling? Who else could potentially take that, that burden? Oh, I don't know. There's this dude by the name of <laughs> Devontae Adams. Oh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good, right? He's, he's not bad. He's not bad. I had him on my fantasy team once. We did pretty well. Yeah. Um, but him and Lazard, Alan Lazard, can also take it deep. I mean, I, I'm perfectly fine with, with those two guys um, as, the, uh, as the, the, the two deep threats there. You know, a little Randall Cobb and Josiah mm-hmm. DeGuar as the, uh, as the under, you know, running the underneath routes. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be again, like I said, I mean, we've seen, we've seen Devonte Adams get, you know, air it out and stretch the field nicely there. I'm not worried too much about Marquez Valdez Scantling being, not being there. Yeah. So, you know, as specialists, I would say Valdez Scantling and Randall Cobb, we have pretty clear mental images of like what they do, what their routes look like. And it shows up in the metrics. So Valdez Scantling, 17.9 average depth of target, one of the highest in football, Randall Cobb, 8.0 average depth of target, one of the lowest in football, right? And then you look at the other guys, and they're just kind of in the middle. Devontae Adams, 9.3. Alan Lazard, 10.9. And you're like, I don't really know what that means. For Adams, it probably just means he can do anything, right? So, like, his depth of target is low because he's also good at the shallow routes. He's good deep. He's good shallow. He's good every which way. Maybe the most versatile receiver in football. But Lazard, to me, is really interesting because 10.9, again, it sounds very average. It is very average. But he showed kind of interesting splits from weeks 1 to 12, 11.7 yard average at the target, a little bit deeper. Weeks 13 to 18, 10.0, a little bit shallower. That's actually the point when Randall Cobb got injured. He's coming back for the first time this week. And interestingly, they were running Lazard from the slot, even though the dude is huge. He's like six foot five. He looks more like a tight end than anything else. And I think that's kind of how they were using him. But he actually is really good running deep, even though that isn't his primary role with the team. So I'm kind of wondering whether maybe he'll be there taking some of those shot plays and maybe he could be a sneaky option for you in DFS as a guy who's like full season numbers or maybe recent numbers may not reflect the role that he'll play for the team this week in what could be a really advantageous spot against the 49ers. I can see him being shifted to the outside. You know, another thing that you have to to factor in also is that at the same time that he was shifted into the slot when Randall Cobb was hurt. You also lost Robert Tunyon. Mm-hmm. And when you lose Tunyon, you know, when you lost the tight end, that was actually, I mean, this was the first time that Aaron Rodgers had been using the tight end, yeah. uh, you know, a lot more. So when you had Valdez Scantling who could handle the outside, it made sense to push Lazard into the, uh, into the slot and handle the underneath routes. He's just, he's more than capable of doing that. I think when you, you know, with the, the blossoming of DeGuara, which we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and the return of Randall Cobb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I I, I like, uh, you know, I'll take Lazard. You know, I mean, listen, send him downfield. Send him, you know, if, you, if you're going to have Cobb do like an underneath route, you know, yeah. just have, have uh, you know, have Lazard shadow him like 10 yards behind him and see if that opens up a little bit more there as well. I think that that's definitely a possibility. I think that's intriguing. And actually, I landed on Randall Cobb as being a potential DFS value for this game because he's very inexpensive, 3,100 in DraftKings. Not sure if that's just because people forgot about him since he hasn't played since week 12. (laughs) But he did have three to four catches in six of his last seven games pre-injury. I mean, not a ton, but consistent. 
and you feel like maybe without Valdez Scantling, that's just one less guy to be a competition for targets. I was really surprised at how much Cobb was a factor for the team in the red zone. He averaged 0.46 touchdowns per game this year, 0.50 expected touchdowns per game, kind of in range with the T. Higgins, Tyler Lockett, Michael Pittman's, not your star touchdown scorers, but like some of your second tier guys that are quite good. And he actually had nine end zone targets in 11 games, despite being kind of undersized, right? So that's intriguing to me. Like, could he clip off a touchdown in this game? I think there's a possibility. Well, you know that, I mean, he's like best friends with Rodgers and mm-hmm. he was like, you know, Rodgers was, was stomp, stomping his feet up and down like Joe Burrow trying to get the Bengals to draft chase. That was Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> That's doing, the new thing. That's the new tantrum. strategy. Get your guys. Right. He's throwing a little tantrum there. Get me Mandel Cobb right now. <laughs> and so, you know, when Cobb does show up, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. I can see some red zone looks for this, you know, for the little guy. Sure. No problem. And then I have to call out the guy you already mentioned on the 49er side, Elijah Mitchell, 5,800 in DraftKings. I think that's very underpriced. So not only has he been super consistent, you mentioned the carry volume recently. He's had 19 carries per game in his 11 healthy games all season. That's like Jonathan Taylor's at 19.6, Dalvin Cook, 19.3, Najee Harris, 18.1. Like I get that he isn't getting the receiving work that those other guys are, but he's getting like top, top shelved carrying volume. And I feel very good about the consistency from that perspective. But also the Packers, they kind of stink in run defense. They're 15th in pass defense, but 28th in run defense DVOA. They increase rushing touchdown rate. And although they cut run plays for most opponents, I think that's a game script thing. It's like when they go up, you can't run. If the 49ers have their success in this game, it's going to be by running the ball. And if that happens, Mitchell's going to succeed. Debo's going to succeed. Like to me, that's that's like a very logical way to play it from a, from like a game theory perspective. Yeah, I, and I completely agree with you. I really do. Because the last thing the last thing that Shanahan wants is to have to rely on Jimmy G to, like, get these guys back. He really wants to. He's going to establish the run. He's going to be pretty strong about it. I think we see a lot of Mitchell and a lot of Debo Samuel out of the backfield very early on in this game, like slow, methodical drives that just kind of grind out the clock and keep Rodgers, you know, sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, Joey sucks in the YouTube chat asks, are we sure that Aaron Rodgers has the ability to feel friendship? So wait, are you suggesting that he's not hanging out with the Packers GM, Brian Gutenkust at steakhouses and such on a Friday night in Green Bay? Like to me, of course, he's got to be doing that, right? Um, You know, like here's the funny thing. And like, this is just the, this is my take on Rodgers. When it comes to fantasy football, DFS, anything like that, I don't care what his personality is like. <laughs> you want to be an a-hole, be an a-hole. I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, I mean, people are making so, such a big deal out of it. When, he, when you get guys on the football field like Rodgers, I mean, he had a chip on his shoulder coming into the season, right? Now, after all the stuff that's gone on back and forth with him, his appearance on the McAfee show and the, the vaccination status. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, what was the, uh, the, the last one was, oh, the guy who – uh, the the Bears beat writer who wouldn't vote for Rodgers oh, for yeah. MVP because he's the biggest jerk in the league. You know what? I want to invest in the jerk because that dude is <laughs> only thinking about football right now. He's not thinking about sparing anybody's feelings or anything like that. He's there to do a job, and, and I want him to do that job. So couldn't care less what Rodgers feels for anything or anybody. Just sling the rock, baby. That's all yeah. I want. For a guy that's kind of all over the place from a public perspective, he's incredibly consistent on the field. I think you can probably trust that from a DFS perspective this weekend. Yes. 
Okay, let's yeah. head to Sunday. We got the Rams at Bucks Sunday at 3 p.m. in Tampa Bay, 62 degrees and clear. Some modest winds, but nothing like we've seen in some of the more extreme games. So I don't think there's much weather concerns here. Major storyline number one, Howard, is Cam Akers kind of back? Is he a trustworthy DFS option for you? He saw his snap share increase from week 18 at 20%, which on its own was remarkable. I mean, not even six months after tearing his Achilles, often a two-year injury for players. He was back at 53% last week and was running all over the place. He was running too quickly on routes for, for Stafford to even hit him on wheel routes. It's like, what is this guy? Incredible. It's amazing what he's done, right? To return from it, you know, from popping your Achilles like that. And, you know, to return this, you know, what is it? Five and a half months later mm -hmm. uh, and to do what he's doing. It really, it's, it's amazing to watch. It really is. You know, the problem that you obviously run into is running against the Buccaneers. Yes. Um, you know, I, I can't remember. Their, their DVOA ranking against the run dropped, but yeah. they, they you know, I mean, they're giving up. They gave up, like, I think it was like 115, 118 rushing yards per game over the last three weeks. So it does seem to be softening a little bit on there. You know, the problem with using Cam Akers is that it's like how much is going to be Cam Akers and how much is going to be Sony Michelle. And, you know, I guess if you're if you're playing on DraftKings where it's full point PPR, then you can favor Akers in that because, you yeah. know, he's going to run more routes than Sony Michelle. But, you know, against this Tampa defense, it's going to be very tough to kind of pick and choose, you know, one of the Rams running backs and, and at least feel confident about it. Yeah, yeah, two great points there. First, with the running backs themselves, more similar 18 and versus 13 touches last week for Akers and Michelle, but Michelle didn't see a target. And now that Akers is back, they were lining him up out wide. Like to me, he's going to be the one of the two that dominates the catching work. So, any kind of PPR format, you definitely favor him more in that perspective. From the Bucks' defensive perspective, you're dead on. They were number one in run defense DVOA last year, just 12th this year. Kind of a surprise. But their fade down the stretch there, to me, it seemed to coincide with some of their injuries, most notably Levante David. Mm -hmm. There was that weird Jets game. Remember when the Jets ran all over the Bucks, and we were like, what? That, that, that actually may have been the, like the DFS show we were talking about when Tom Brady <laughs> pulled our plugs, now that I think about it. What a weird game. But regardless, David came back last week, and obviously the run defense looked really good against the Eagles. I think they're probably back to close to the standard they had last year. And even if they aren't, and, and, you know, they were modest cutters of rushing yards and touchdowns per attempt this season, like not top, top standout, but they were by far the biggest cutter of run plays per game for their opponents, 47%. I think most teams don't even bother trying to run against them. And then often teams that's so like the Rams, they played way back early in the year, maybe week three, and they had the lead and they won by 10 and they only ran for 76 yards on 24 carries. That was like, it's this team when they're right, just really has a tough spot. And, and to me, that's going to make it pretty Pretty tough for the Rams to run the ball here. I would think about Akers. It's, it's weird because he he's actually way cheap in, in FanDuel at just 5,700. And so you can kind of make the volume play argument there. But yeah, like I, I'm not sure I'm super in love with, with taking either back just because of the defense they're playing against here. Oh, come on. Admit it. You're in love with one of them. I can, I can hear the, I can see the, like, I can see the sparkle in your eye when you say Cam Akers. You have dynasty shares of Cam Akers, don't you? Luckily, I don't, because then that would have gone really wrong for me. Um, but maybe that's not a good thing, because I definitely traded away Jonathan Taylor last year in a league, and I, I've kind of come to regret that, it turns out. 
Joey Sucks points out, doesn't Sony Michelle thrive when he has a chance to disappoint Tom Brady? Love that angle. That would be a hilarious <laughs> like revenge game opportunity for Michelle to run all over as former Patriots quarterback. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I do the, like the other storyline of this game to me is Tom Brady centered because like you would say that, Hey, most teams probably can't slow down Tom Brady. I mean, he's, he's the goat, right? But the bucks are in a weird spot with all of their wide receiver injuries. Not only is Chris Godwin done for the year with his ACL tear, not only is Antonio Brown released, but Cyril Grayson, you can laugh, but like, he's a really speedy guy that was kind of getting worked in late in the year. He's been out for a few weeks with a hamstring injury, seems unlikely to play. Rashad Perryman has been playing, but is dealing with a hip injury and isn't practicing this week. He may not be able to play, may not be really capable if he has. So you're kind of getting down to the dregs of the team and the Scotty Millers and Tyler Johnsons, which a lot of teams would love those to be their fifth and sixth receiving option, right. but <laughs> maybe not their second and third turns out. And the Rams, by virtue of having Jalen Ramsey, man, they have the ability to shut down number one wide receivers. Earlier in the year, Mike Evans did really well. I think he had eight catches for like 108 yards on 10 targets, but he wasn't seeing shadow coverage from Ramsey at that point. It was just two of the 10 targets was he getting Ramsey in coverage. I bet you Ramsey's going to be shadowing him this week, and I wonder then if he could get shut down, and that might lead to like a lack of passing for, for the Tampa Bay Bucks, even with Brady under center. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here. There's a lot to unpack with the Bucks right now. Um Ryan Jensen, their center, has been banged up, and I, I, you know, and Tristan Wirfs, the uh, the the right tackle, that's been that's mm-hmm. a huge injury right there. He's been in a walking boot the entire time. Um, I heard that both guys were back at practice doing individual drills today. I didn't, uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. think they were. Uh, they appeared in the team drills at all, so we're still kind of up in the air about that. We saw, you know, with, with the loss of Wirfs and then the loss of Jensen last week in the game. You know, they started to get to Tom Brady a little bit more, started to put a little bit more pressure on him. And that's really the the best way to unnerve Tom Brady is to, you know, is to to pepper him with the pass rush and really can't kind of keep him flustered. So now you've got Jalen Ramsey who, you know, I don't know if he's going to completely shadow Evans. Maybe he ends up like, you know, working over Gronk a little bit. I'm sure that yeah. we're going to see some of that because those are the two top pass catchers, pass, pass catching options here for Brady. So that could make it a little bit more difficult. I think the linchpin here for, for the Bucks is will Leonard Fournette be back? Mm-hmm. Because there's talk about him, you know, possibly returning this week. And if that's the case, I mean, the best way for Tom Brady to neutralize the pass rush are the little dump off passes uh, to Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, I, I focus on him because Gio Bernard is banged up again because he's, you know, three foot two and you know, weighs, <laughs> you can't talk a, bad yeah. about my, my North Carolina alumnus there, Gio Bernard <laughs> weighs about a buck 10, right. <laughs> when he's wet. Um, so, you know, and, and you know that Brady doesn't trust Keyshawn Vaughn. And I think Ronald Jones was supposed to be back at practice yesterday, but he wasn't back at practice. So I, I really think that, you know, what we're looking at here is to favor the bucks in any kind of passing attack, you've got to get, you got to get Fournette back and you've got to have, uh, I mean, Jensen, I think, will be playing. It's it's whether or not Werfs is going to be available um, could be a, a very strong factor here. Yeah, I mean, Fournette, totally with you. He's 5,700 in DraftKings. That's really, really cheap in my mind. 
And he averaged 6.0 targets per game the first 14 weeks before his hamstring injury. That was tied with Alvin Kamara for the third most among running backs. I mean, man, he made me look like an idiot talking about his drop rate last year. Like, he really kind of figured it out. I mean, I wouldn't say he's got, you know, Larry Fitzgerald hands or anything, but he's (laughs) a very capable receiving back. And by virtue of that, like a true bell cow type of back. And if he's back, He's he's the one that I also agree would be the one that I would I would want to rely on. Useful was first throughout Gronk and Brait being good options. And I agree that makes sense to a certain extent because the, the Rams weakness seems to be at linebacker more than in the secondary and up front. And Aaron Donald, by being an interior pass rusher, can get to the quarterback faster than edge rushers. And that, that's great for Brady because he's such a quick releaser of the ball. Um so I could see that too, but Fournette is really the one that I would want to target if I wasn't doing a broader stack. I just think he's a really good value in DraftKings, and it may be a, a kind of a surprising zag, even though the Rams have a good run defense, to rely a little bit more heavily on the running game uh, because of the lack of options that Brady's going to even have at receiver, which is it's weird to say given the recent run that the, the healthier Bucks have had. Yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. I agree with you. Like right now, I mean, just overall from the players that we've spoken about and from DFS lineups, um, if I'm playing on FanDuel where it's just half point PPR and it works nicely to get a running back into your flex spot, it's like you got Derrick Henry, you got Elijah Mitchell, and you got Leonard Fournette. Those are three guys I would be very happy if they were all healthy and playing uh, to go to war in a DFS contest with. I've been shocked by how many running backs I've been interested in playing this week, given that we're down to eight teams. And that's mm-hmm. something we're going to talk about in the last game, too. We're down to it. Bills at Chiefs Sunday at 630 in Kansas City, 31 degrees, but clear. No real weather concerns there. To me, this is the most interesting of the rematches because the first game just went so completely one sided. The Bills won 38 to 20. That was in Kansas City and it was in week five. So does that match up inform how you think about this at all? Or, or to you, were there too many kind of weird things that happened that week? No, I you know, I look at this. I love this matchup. Like this is the matchup yeah. here. Like I'm, I'm in on the Bills plus two, and and I'm I'm in on what the Bills bring to the table here. We've seen the Kansas City offense falter, and uh, you know you, you know that that the the Bills are going to pay closer attention to Tyreek and to Travis Kelsey, and really force him force Mahomes to do it with you know guys like uh, guys like Byron Pringle. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I keep coming back to the fact I know everybody loves Devin Singletary, but I don't necessarily know if the Bills jump out to as big a lead mm-hmm. as they've done, you know, in a lot of these games where Singletary's seen such tremendous volume uh, or has had such a, a favorable matchup. Like, you know, I mean, I know uh, he, he was an active part in that game against the Jets, but that was because the Jets have a horrible run defense. It wasn't yeah. that the Bills had a lead. It was like 13-10 before they kind of, you know, opened things up a little bit more. So I just don't know if they're going to utilize Singletary as much. And I think maybe Buffalo goes with that 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 whole mentality of, well, we're gonna we're gonna get our lead with the pass and uh and you know and hit digs and hit Dawson Knox and find Gabriel Davis and yeah. you know Isaiah McKenzie and and all these you know random wideouts that they have and then try and get out to that lead and then run the ball later on. So, but that relies on obviously the Buffalo defense containing Kansas city. And I think I, I just, I, I do believe that this game does be become that track meet that we're all expecting. 
I, frankly, I do too. So like from the Bills perspective, I, I'm kind of agreeing with what you're saying there with the Singletary thing. If you look at the Football Outsiders full season numbers, it makes it look like this is a good rushing matchup for the Bills. But if you look at the splits, the Chiefs have gotten dramatically better against really both the run and the pass since about week seven. And I don't think that's a coincidence. They've had a lot of players come back and get into their lineup for other reasons. They traded for Melvin Ingram that kicked Chris Jones back inside where he's at his best at a defensive tackle. Juan Thornhill has been just a huge upgrade over Daniel Sorensen. Their missed tackle rates are just night and day. So it's like the Chiefs at, at the current state of their defense to me are above average probably defensively, including against the run, which could make it tough from that perspective. I mean, it's not going to really stop what Josh Allen does, I would say. But to me, it's, it's not going to be nearly as one-sided as it was back earlier in the year. And really, that's more about the Chiefs' offensive side of things so I went back and rewatched this game because I was doing the, the the preview article for Football Outsiders, which P.S. check that out if you're interested in doing a broader preview, not fantasy related. But here are some of the things that happened to the Chiefs in the offense that game that probably cost them points. Patrick Mahomes overthrew a wide open Travis Kelsey 40 yards down the field. Byron Pringle fumbled away a kickoff return uh, with more than seven seconds holding the ball in a clean pocket. <laughs> Mahomes couldn't find an open receiver, and he threw incomplete on a fourth and five, so that turned the ball over on downs. Travis Kelsey drew an offensive pass interference penalty. That lost a 17-yard gain, which you're like, yeah, whatever, no big deal, but that was in the final minute of the, of the half, and so they didn't have time to get a touchdown after that. Tyreek Hill had a pass bounce off his hands, and it ended up being a Micah Hyde pick six. That actually happened a few times to Mahomes earlier in the season, and that's kind of regressed back to normal. Uh, Mahomes threw a quick screen. This was this is the craziest. I didn't remember this because this is in the fourth quarter. He threw like a hard quick screen right, and Gregory Rousseau, the rookie edge rusher, who's like six foot six and has an NBA wingspan, he batted the pass and it just kicked up in the air where he was able to intercept it. It was this unbelievable defensive play, but like pretty fluky. And then finally, Mahomes fumbled away a shotgun snap while it was raining at that point in the fourth quarter. So that's like eight or nine plays where kind of crazy, unsustainable things happened. And if you're wondering why the Chiefs only scored 20 points that week, to me, that's the reason. Right. Yeah. Yes, the Bills are probably as good as any defense can be in facing the Chiefs. They blitzed Mahomes on just 3.5% of his dropbacks. They do that too high safety thing. It really works. They had by far the best deep defense pass defense DVOA this season. Like they're, they're the best you can be against Mahomes, but can they keep him under 30 points? I don't think so. I think like all of the offensive players have a chance to really thrive this week. Who I kind of, I kind of wore myself out there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> mind blown. Right. Let's yeah. Cause now I'm like, now I'm like, I mean, yeah. Like when, when fluke stuff happens like that during mm -hmm. games and you, you know, you kind of have to just look at it. It's why, you know, one of the things that, you know, I love to do is, you know, you, you love to track the, um, you know, during a Sunday, it's like, you know, penalties, like long runs, you know, taken away by penalties or touchdowns mm -hmm. taken away or fluke tip passes that turn out to be yeah. sort of things. So when, you know, if, if, if that doesn't happen or if it, you know, if, if you cut the fluke issues mm -hmm. uh, for Kansas city, even by, you know, 50%, I mean, it's still, you know, you're, you're looking at a, at a, at a strong back and forth here. Who do you like in this game? Like, who, I mean, do you like Kansas city or do you like Buffalo? I like Kansas City, and it's 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 for the the strangest reason, and that's Jarek McKinnon. And we should talk about the back from, from both sides of this. But like McKinnon, you would think would be like like who cares? Like he was only playing last week because Clyde Edwards-Alaire was out because you know 
Darrell Williams, either because Darrell Williams fumbled or because he was dealing with his toe injury. He's a backup, whatever. But God, man, does he, he look so good last week. So he, he does, he's got 441 speed. Like he's dramatically faster than these other backs. If you're wondering why Kyle, why Kyle Shanahan signed this guy to a big contract a few years ago, that's why it didn't work out because he suffered multiple ACL tears that really stunk. But he's back and seemed really healthy last week. And I like him with the Chiefs for a couple of reasons. One, that speed, it helps him reach the edge and turn the corner upfield. And I actually think that's like a shockingly good fit for a team, even with their good run-blocking offensive line with all their new pieces like the Creed Humphreys of the world. I think that helps them because so many of their routes on the outside are deep, and I think it kind of leaves a vacated part of the field to kind of get those outside type of runs. And more important than that, man, McKinnon was killing it in the screen game. His three biggest gains as a receiver last week, 15, 20, and 23 yards were on his three screen passes. Andy Reid used to just rely heavily on screens back in like the Kareem Hunt days um, and like when they had the personnel to suit that. And it seems like McKinnon would be really good with the speed on screens. And I just feel like those easy type of games can really help the Chiefs if they don't have the opportunities to throw deep because the Bills are playing the two high safeties because they're so good in the deep defense. It seems so stupid to talk about a third string running back as the key to the Chiefs offense. But man, he seems like such a good matchup player for the Bills. And it seems like it's going to really add balance to the team this week. Am I just like off the ledge crazy here thinking? No, that? I don't think you're off the ledge crazy here at all. I think everybody who was taking a victory lap last week of, you know, for Jarek McKinnon being like, oh, this is why I told you to take him in the 20th <laughs> round of your best ball. You know, <laughs> well, like, you really? missed, missed the window there, but yeah. yeah <laughs> just, just shut here right <laughs> now. And let's face it. Yes, McKinnon was, was, you know, he was on IR for a little bit, but he missed four games, right? He was still... He was taking snaps throughout the, uh, the the season here. If he was really that good, he would have been starting. But, I mean, listen, you, you've you got to the point right now where you know that Andy Reid just – I don't think Andy – he just doesn't believe in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And, and he'll utilize him to his strengths. Um, but I think that, yeah, you know, it's like much in the way that we saw Darrell Williams early on in the season with CEH still playing – that Williams was the, the pass catching back and it was Clyde Edwards Alaire who was doing, you know, a lot of the early down work. And so, uh, you know, I, I think you're right here. I do. I, I think that McKinnon will play a role that, you know, he does fit well with the, 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 the misdirection and the mm. pre-snap motion that, that, you know, Andy Reed, you know, basically taught to like guys like Shanahan <laughs> Uh, you know, so, I mean, I think it's it's definitely uh, something that you kind of have to look for um, if you're doing like, here you go. If, you know, like I said, when you go with uh, with with FanDuel and you've got Fournette and Elijah Mitchell and Derrick Henry, if you're playing on DraftKings, you know, throw McKinnon into that flex spot there as like a third running back. But the pass catcher and a guy, you know, that Andy Reid has been relatively high on in, in recent weeks. So. I might not like the player on the, on the whole, especially mm -hmm. just, you know, being burnt by him from, you know, whatever his days in Minnesota. Yeah. For the last like seven years. Right. I mean, it's on and on and on, but you know, it's like, I'm not looking for Mr. Right. I'm looking for Mr. Right now. <laughs> and Jared yeah. McKinnon is definitely Mr. Right now. He's only 4,800 in DraftKings. So it's, oh. it's you don't even need him to be the featured like a guy. Gift. Like a gift. To the Clyde Edwards-Alaire point, and I'll mention that he's practicing. I think he's going to play. Like this, mm -hmm. so this this could be like a three three back committee. Frankly, 
But Edward Solaire, while I've been driving the bus of he's been unlucky to not score more touchdowns in the last two seasons, the fact is they drafted him because he was incredibly good at avoiding tackles and, and getting yards after contact in college, also at LSU. A lot of LSU players in the NFL these days. Um, but it just hasn't translated. I mean, he had a 5.9% avoided tackle rate this year, very pedestrian, 1.8 yards after contact per attempt. It's, it's not that good. It's just like he doesn't really seem that special. Daryl Williams doesn't seem that special. So give me the guy that's fast enough to run away from defenders, right? <laughs> to, to me, it's just it's a better fit. Um, it's If Edward Solaire had been the player that he like looked like he was going to be coming out of college, he would be like the ideal for this Kansas City team. But it's it's just not the case. And so like to me, McKinnon, especially at his less expensive price, it's worth the gamble. On the Singletary side of things, it's interesting because like obviously he's seen his workload ramp up pretty dramatically uh, in the last, maybe since week 14 on, he's basically been the bell cow back. He hasn't really performed that differently from an efficiency perspective. He's always been really good. 4.7 yards per attempt, 8.3% avoided tackle rate, quite good. The thing that's improved in recent weeks is really the more yards before contact, 2.5 yards before contact per attempt since week 14. And like there was all that buzz in the offseason about his training program and how he gained speed, like he was literally faster. You know, I don't know if I believe that. Like, is that the reason this is happening? Was it matchups maybe made it easier on him? Is the blocking or scheme stuff better for, for the Bills of late? I think uh, Derek Klassen, our, our scout film guy, wrote an article about some of the pulling stuff the Bills have been doing and how that's maybe helped. So I don't know. Like, what are your – I think you kind of maybe expressed your thoughts. You think that maybe Singletary could have a tougher time against the Chiefs this week, at least for game script reasons, right? Um, I mean, possibly just for game script reasons, yeah. I mean, I, I, I just don't know how much we're going to see the Bills try to attack with the run. You know, this isn't like you said, the Kansas City defense has shown improvement as the season's gone on. Mm. So the days of just saying, well, just run against Kansas City early and take them out of the game, uh, you know, is is definitely something, you know, it's a direction that a lot of coaches tend to to go through. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I really feel like, uh, like Sean McDermott and Brian DeBall are like, Dude, you can't keep this passing game down. Josh <laughs> Allen is just absolutely crushing it. And you know, like I said, they've <laughs> utilized they've utilized Singletary a lot more in the sense of we've got our lead. Let's just, you know, sit on it. You know, mm. we don't have to, you know, I mean, it's gonna be easy for for Allen to, you know, maneuver the ball up and down the field, but you know, let's let's try and keep some long sustained drives here. Let's wear them out and uh, and and run with Singletary. I'm not sure that happens, you know, uh, you know, completely this week. But I mean, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate on the player because if, mm -hmm. you know, like we've seen Kansas City off to these crazy slow starts this season, right? That's, and we're like, true. you know, even in their Super Bowl run, they were down double digits every week. It was crazy, right? So, so it's like if they get off to that slow start again, well, then maybe we do see a lot more Singletary. You know, if if Buffalo goes up, let's say Buffalo goes up, and it's like, you know. I don't know, 21 to 10 at some mm. point, you know that then Singletary is just going to get, you know, some mad carries then. So one more angle here related to the passing game for the Bills before I let you go. Isaiah McKenzie. So he's still pretty inexpensive at 4,800 in FanDuel. And I think it's easy to see why. Like he had that 11 catch, 125 yard outburst maybe four weeks ago. But that was the week that Cole Beasley was out with mm -hmm. all the COVID controversy. So it was Gabe Davis. So since Beasley's been back, since they pretty much had the full run of guys, Emmanuel Sanders is also back too right now. So like they're at full strength. 
it's been more like 33% snap share. So like he's like the fourth maybe receiving option for the team, maybe the fifth. So it would be risky to play him. But like just looking at it, it seems like he's bringing a real element of speed that this team lacks that's like really cool from the slot and could be a real nightmare matchup problem for teams that don't have like four good cornerbacks, which P.S. no one asked four good cornerbacks, including the Patriots who got trounced last week. So like is McKenzie the type of upside play that you consider in this spot? Like say you're stacking the Bills passing offense, like who are you going? Are you like, are you sticking with the usual suspects sticking with the Dawson Knoxes who's getting like three touchdowns a week of the world? Or would McKenzie be an option for you too? You know, I mean, listen, if you're going to do a deep dive and you're going to try and differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack, because, mm. you know, you know, a lot of people, if you're playing just the two game slate, um, you know, on Sunday, then yeah, I think a guy like McKenzie does, does kind of play out a little bit more. Like you said, he does bring a, a good speed element to it. He can stretch the field. He can also, you know, come out of the slot a lot more. Yeah, I, I'm just, you know, I was surprised to see Emmanuel Sanders score last week. I really was because, um, I mean, he he just became the forgotten guy. It wasn't even about just his injuries when he was on the field. He wasn't yeah. seeing any kind of targets. So, you know, I, I you know, I, I kind of lean in, in that direction. I know that, you know, Gabriel Davis and, uh, and Isaiah McKenzie both bring a good speed element here that I think Josh Allen likes. I think he likes to throw the ball deep. Uh, and he knows that these guys have no problem beating coverage with their speed. So, you know, if you're like a multi lineup kind of person and you're looking to separate yourself away from the rest of the pack, I do think Isaiah McKenzie is a uh, he's a good dart throw. I don't necessarily know if I'm building mm-hmm. my lineups around him, but I, I definitely think that he's a good dart throw to, to, to kind of get some of the bigger names into your lineups. I feel the same way, man. I'm giddy. I can't wait to watch that game. <laughs> and Howard, I love having you. I have more fun doing the show with you than anybody else. Thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate Tell all of our that, audience man. what all you have coming up at Fantasy Alarm on the serious show. Y'all have got baseball, football. Hit them with everything you need to hit them with. Everything we need to hit you with. All right. From the football standpoint, I've got a. I got two playbooks coming out for DFS. One for the Saturday slate. One for the Sunday slate. The Saturday slate will be out tonight, Friday, so that you can start your research ahead of time. The Sunday slate one will be out well before game time. So if you do play that four-game slate, I'll have you covered with all the players nice. that you're going to need. Um, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at RotoBuzzGuy. You can find me on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio Monday through Friday. Me and Jim Bowden uh, will be breaking down all the, uh, all the game action mm-hmm. tonight from a DFS standpoint. So you don't want to miss tonight's show. And then if you're a baseball guy, well, or girl, or gal, our MLB draft guide, uh, the living draft guide for 2022 officially launched. And uh, and you can go check that all out. Fantasyalarm.com, DFSalarm.com. Thank you I so encourage, much, encourage everybody to check that out. Howard, absolute legend. Great guest as always. Uh, also check out, again, check out the Football Outsiders live stream, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this point at Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. You can ask us questions. Thanks to guys like Joey Sucks that watch along and ask us questions. We love that participation. And it's not just fantasy. You're going to get all kinds of great review and preview stuff with Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, and all the Football Outsiders writers. So check that out. Subscribe to the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. 
sign up for FO Plus. God, we've got some great content for you guys. So we really yeah, appreciated having you. <laughs> love my subscription. I love my subscription. And you know, I'm not just saying that because if you've read anything that I've written in the last, what, five to seven years, it's all football outsiders data, man. You guys I was about to say, however, there are not many guys that come on the show as a guest from an outside company and drop DVOA stats on me. So I, I love to hear that. And I can tell you got a little bit of nerd in you as well, which obviously I appreciate. Nerds appreciate nerds. Nerds appreciate nerds. We'll talk comic <laughs> books next week. Absolutely. I'm, I'm game. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. Enjoy these incredible playoff games. I'm so excited. I don't even know if I can wait for that Chiefs-Bills game. I just have to watch it. It's going to be great. Watch it and then come back on Monday and hear Aaron Schatz and Ian O'Connor talk about it. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your football and we'll see you guys next time.